Hello everybody and welcome to episode 7 of The Sequelizers, a podcast all about fixing bad sequels to good movies. If there's a great movie followed by a terrible sequel, we're going to try and fix it. My name is Jack Chambers, I am your host, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. Our first team comprises of Mr. Alec Plowman. Hello. And Stuart Ashen. Hello. And our second team, Mr. Tom Martin. Howdy. And Matthew Stockton. Hey! So in this episode, we kind of went to break one of our rules that we talked about before. This sequel is actually straight to DVD, but it is kind of the first that kind of set the precedent for things that followed, and in a way that's the fixing the thing that kind of started the problem with Disney sequels. It's Return of Jafar, mm. a.k.a. Aladdin 2. Mm. And it is garbage. <laughs> it really is. It is very... It's, it's, for for yeah. Series 1, it's a bit of a toss-up between Exorcist 2 and this, for which is the more abysmally made film because they're both functionally terrible yeah yeah yeah. I'd say Exorcist 2 is a lot more entertaining <laughs> yeah. um, I can remember things that happened in Exorcist 2 and I watched Aladdin 2 three days before this recording and I still can't, you just can't remember tell you. I had about 30 minutes of memory of <laughs> Return of Jafar and then it was gone like the sands <laughs> of time <laughs> of crap I remember watching it as a as a child, like when it first came out. Seen it before? Has anyone else I've seen, seen it before? before. I've, seen, okay. I've seen it. And I have not seen it. It's a sequel before. before as well. It was the, the King of Thieves, Thieves. or Thieves Kings or <laughs> Carry on. Um, yeah, I, I remember being quite excited about it at the time because it was an Aladdin sequel, and it's weird to think because there was no concept of what a Disney straight to video sequel was mm. at this time. Yeah, it set the president. It was a yeah. glorious yeah. time where anything was possible, and then. Yeah, and that happened. (laughs) This was possible, and it was no longer glorious. The only thing that sticks in my mind about the film is how long it took Jafar to die at the end. He's like (laughs) screaming for five solid minutes. (laughs) It's a children's film. It literally is a case of how can we pad this out? It's a long no, screaming. And to be fair, even Paddock's only about, it's like 67 minutes long, so you yeah. stick it to yeah. It's yeah. barely a film. It's, be- it's technically not a feature, really. It's, it's, if it's 67 minutes, it's like... Well, arguably, features ending above 50, 40, 45 minutes. Or 40, yeah. 40, You'd be surprised. But, um, it, but as far as the general consensus is concerned, if you ask the general public... It's like 90 minutes, yeah. right? Yeah, that's yeah. Like 90 yeah. minutes or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, I think it's just two episodes of the TV show bolted together, isn't it? Yes, pretty much. Mm. Almost literally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting that it then just set the precedent for. I mean, you you've got like the the terrible cars spin off straight to DVD sequels to this day of like planes, and I think that those spin offs in turn have then had their own sequels of play, like yeah. planes two and I it's why Toy Story two was the whole oh we'll do a straight DVD and they had to fight it as a Pixar thing saying no we want this as a cinematic release yeah. it has to be yeah. a genuine film not just some rushed out cash in yeah. There were a load I hadn't heard of when I was looking into it, like The Fox and the Hound yeah. 2. Yeah, everything yeah. has a sequel. Well, it was, this was a crazy money spinner for Disney. That's the thing. The, the amount of money it made was ridiculous. And especially because... I think it did very well for two reasons. The first one was it was so cheap to make. Yeah. The second one was... It shows. There, there wasn't the option to go and see it at the cinema... At a time when cinema tickets were exponentially cheaper Cheap. than buying a home video release. Yep. So they were making crazy money because you had, rather than people stumping up, you had the same kind of response that you would get from people going to the cinema to see it, but they were paying 15 quid for a, a VHS. Yeah. So it was hugely successful for Disney, which is why they kept doing it for so many years. And we're only in the past five years at the point where they've stopped doing it, mm. where they've realised the extent to which it was damaging the Disney brand. Yeah. 
um, on a broader sense, but for about a 10, 15 year period, it made them so much money. And I should say, I think I've seen a few Disney straight to video sequels. Return of Jafar is probably the worst. They don't get much better. Yeah. But I think because, you know, like, like yeah. Aladdin, uh, King of Thieves is exponentially better than yeah. Return of Jafar. Still a terrible movie, <laughs> but it's exponentially <laughs> better just because exponentially it, it has, it has a narrative. It has yeah. a semblance of, of, um, stuff you know, uh, stuff happening, yeah. which this one just really doesn't. And it, it, in this equalising mindset, I'm pretty sure all of them are nowhere near it. I mean, things like Pocahontas 2, it takes a logical step and takes it to London. Yeah, that makes sense. It's still abysmal. And you take, like, Hunchback and Notre Dame 2, and like, yeah, these are stories I didn't need to be... They didn't need continuation. Yeah. They're, they're literally done. There's nothing yeah, else to be said. Yeah. And like Fox and the Hound. Who's uh, asking for a Fox and the Hound 2? Yeah, it's, it's a very definitive two, ending. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Insert political reference. Actually, how yeah, I was going to say, who was asking for talks and talents? Too yeah. recently. But it was also like a really good merchandising opportunity. I remember as a kid when, like exactly what Ali was describing, it's not only that, it was the resurgence of like, oh, we can just even repackage the merchandise that was already there, all the cuddly toys, I remember, mm. and all of that stuff, like the Disney store being having a huge amount of like, Extra, there used to be, if I remember correctly, a, a bundle packages as well. Yes, the, with the cuddly toy as well. Exactly, yeah. in a yeah. big-ass box, for like yeah. 30, 40 quid. And even yeah. back then, I was like, that's a lot of money for us. For VHS yeah. as well. Yeah. For a video. Um, but at the same time, uh, my warp memory from sort of childhood, um, really just thinking, oh yeah, they've always been around. There's always been straight-to-DVD, straight mm. um, straight-to-video, I should say, releases. It's like, no, they just started punching out anything that they could that would be appropriate for mm. sequeling, effectively. Yeah. But, no more-ish. Didn't do a Black Cauldron 2, did no. they? No. No. <laughs> I like Black Cauldron. Yeah, I quite yeah. like Black Cauldron. Yeah. Black Cauldron, everyone forgets, has a princess. Yeah. And, uh, effectively. Yeah. This yeah. Is just, and it's like, that's a Disney princess. princess. It doesn't yeah. count. Should we file that in the bin along with I Basil like... the Great Mouse Detective? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that one as well. I think that's one that could be episodic because it's very... That has Yeah, that makes sense. Does Basil have sequels? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd like to see a sequel. There's three caballeros. I don't know why. Four caballeros. Yep, and just some Inuit people as well, so everyone's included. The two mourning caballeros. Oh, I've been warning America because it's gone tits up. Trump touched an orb, it's going to be fine. Very political Disney movie that you forward here, isn't it? Yeah, full of secret adult messages and stuff. There's dicks and word sex and stuff and all sorts of stuff. Wasn't that SFX? But what a silly thing for the special effects people to put in. Look, we do SFX. They're innocent Disney people, they don't know any better. There are dicks everywhere in Disney movies. And there were actual tits in The Rescuers. Yes, yes, real actual tits. Actual Real human tits. Actual pornography, actually. Literal pornography. Animated on breasts. The only way to watch that movie is projected onto a set of breasts. Actually, if you do that, the unique geometry actually it, it reveals the real meaning of the film. Are we implying it's like a flick book? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to view it from the side and it all makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because projecting onto breasts, you find that the real meaning of the movie is dicks. <laughs> you know, it's entirely equal opportunity for everyone. So one of the main problems with Return of Jafar is somebody does not return for the sequel. <laughs> it's yes. Robin Williams is noticeably absent for this, yes. and it is very noticeable. Dan yeah. Castellaneta 
It's one, just, one he, of the most. He does famous an okayish voice, job. Yeah, well, he, he's a great voice actor. Yeah, most well known for The Simpsons, obviously, but. He ain't Robin Williams. He's not Robin Williams. He's a slightly different yeah. genie or a different take, and it just doing an impression been... is never going to work. Is mm. it? Yeah, exactly. What, what I think is funny is that they tried to compensate by going, uh, and I was reading an interview with the producers, and they said, well, um, we don't have Robin Williams. Gilbert Gottfried is going to be our guy, so we need to make Iago into a main, main character. character. Yeah. Which right. I also think is then a huge problem with the movie, because Iago... Is like out. a one note thing. He can't really yeah. carry it, and his presence in it is just infuriating. So, yeah. So, Return of Jafar is pretty much along the same lines. It's a five point nine out of ten on IMDb, which is pretty standard for us, yeah. apart from Exorcist. That seems like exceptionally high. That that seems seems that's, that's almost a six, high, which yeah. is over half good. Yeah, yeah, yeah so that's, that's almost I, like a, a decent. I would almost want to see. How many people voted on that? Yeah. And, how many of them were the Disney executives? <laughs> yes. yes. How so, many of them were Gilbert? Gilbert. Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, Roger Ebert gave it two thumbs up when it came what? out. What? Yeah. Ebert? And quite, quite a few... Was he in Australia or something <laughs> and he got confused? Uh, <laughs> what? He was upside down and gave it two thumbs up. Um, oh it was really weird. Some critics kind of hailed it as this... Oh, this is a new direction yeah. for Disney. What a great idea kind of thing. Which it was a new direction for Disney... For a much damn toilet. Yeah, a terrible reason. <laughs> New direction. You're not making good films. Well, Let's I've got a plan, guys. We'll make shit films and put them on money. DVD. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. I wonder I thought, if that was just hype around the whole Disney Renaissance and people being really willing to yeah, go with that because they were basically like, mid to late nineties is kind of the golden age of the modern Disney yeah. era, isn't it? They were basically mm-hmm. untouchable yeah, at that point. Absolutely. You'd had, You're right. you know, Beauty and the Beast. You'd had Little Mermaid. You'd had the first Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Um, Lion King Lion was out King. by the time this okay. came out. Yeah, but it's interesting it. now that you look at basically what they're doing twenty odd years later. It's just going. Uh, we'll just remake everything but live action because that's the thing. Yeah. They're just, they're just yeah. going back through that the, 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 the greatest hits of the nineties and just really yeah. wait for the live action Return of Jafar. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's clearly going to be bumped we're up. The release we've already got an Aladdin confirmed. Yes, oh God, and yeah. directed yeah, yes. by Guy Ritchie. Featuring Will Smith as is, the is genie. Is that joke? No, that's no, genuinely... Guy Ritchie's director. Will Richie, Smith yeah. is and the it, genie. And it, what? And How did I miss this? It's, it's a, it is a musical as well. Yeah. It, See, I originally yeah. heard... This is a real thing. This is a real... I promise. With this, My God. This is not like David Fincher doing the World War Z sequel, which feels like something we would have come up with. Or, you know, or, or the new Blade Runner sequel, which feels like, again, something yeah. we would have come yeah. up with. But yeah, no, it's genuinely like Guy Ritchie, whom... I mean, it's gonna be like, is Aladdin gonna, is Aladdin gonna be played by Bob Hoskins? Like, is that Bob Hoskins? Well, no, no. Bob Hoskins is dead. Yes. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> it will be Charlie Hunnam, as we now know from King Arthur. Oh, God, yeah, it will be Charlie Hunnam trying to do a King Arthur. Not, not, not that great. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I must admit, I, I heard initially, which I'm so disappointed is not true. Uh, that it's going to be Hugh Jackman as the genie. I thought with myself, that actually could work really he's well. He's a song and dance he's man. He's a song and dance man. man. Yeah. He's a charming right. guy. Christopher Walken's a song and dance man. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> he was Captain Hook in a live action. Holy shit, William Shatner's a song and dance guy and he's Captain Kirk. Yeah. End of the conversation. He's the Holy genie. shit, Levin Lieber, oh, he's dead as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> welcome to uh, Tom Name's Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and sexualized. <laughs> No, sexualized. God's sake. Tom names dead people. Reanimators. Oh, God. That's Guy Ritchie. That's an old one. That's a weird one. Years ago, when they first announced they were doing an American version of Sherlock Holmes, which Mm. went on to be elementary, I made a joke saying, I'll bet Lucy Liu's going to play Watson or something. (laughs) 
And to this day, some people then, think I have amazing in knowledge no, of the I think American. Mm, I think it's that basically they were listening. Google were just listening to you and like, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. Hand it up the line. Yeah, but you, you know, in five years' me. time, a lot of what we pitched here today and in, in these other episodes will be. We need know, to post these podcasts to ourselves. <laughs> So, yes. that we have, so that we have copyright on all of the. That's how it works, right? You post the podcast to yourself. Yeah. Copyright. Put on a memory stick. Put on a p- memory stick. A memory stick to yourself. Copyright. Yeah. Sure. Have a copy with a solicitor in a safe. Make sure the solicitor's surname isn't Eisner. You know all the usual stuff. Mm. <sighs> so should we? Uh, should we stop yeah. talking about how terrible the Jesus yeah. is and actually yeah. try and fix it? We could go on for a while, but yeah, it's probably wise not. We to. really could, yeah. Um, so let's get to team names then, shall we? Team one: Plowman and Ashen. I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets out. Oh, 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 very nice. I hate sand, sand for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does. It does get everywhere. Yeah. So you're the Anakin Skywalkers then. Oh, we don't think I said that. Anakin Skywalker loves sand. You went too far. Correct. Yeah. Anyway, team two. How about you guys? We're called Street Rats. Prediction yeah. before that you were going to be sand sharks. Sand sharks was weird. Nah, we you will never be able to predict us unless you're Stuart predicting sea sharks, you dick. Spoke <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that joke by accident. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It's alright. I yeah. won't. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm very worried. He should be worried. I'm. I'm. I'm, uh, I'm hurt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just had this real life like, I'm like oh, wait, I hate street sharks oh god I've become the thing that? I despise <laughs> oh. does OG stand for ocean going <laughs> yeah. Yeah. ocean gliding sharks ocean going street sharks are just <laughs> yeah, but you no, know, that was going into the ocean. That was good for SEO. Yeah. <laughs> Just shark. This joke has gone so far around that it's <laughs> really jumped the shark. Oh, and you're back in the Oh, dear. Fucking hell. Yeah. So, team one, I hate sand. It's coarse and it gets everywhere. <laughs> What's your elevator pitch and themes, then, please? We can read the title first. And the title, of course, and the title. <laughs> um, Street Sharks. Well, we have gone for Revenge of Jafar, because he's more of a revenge man, that makes as opposed a lot of to returning man. That's a Star Wars reference. Yeah. Swapping yes. and Revenge. Yeah, it absolutely is. We were going to call it Harvest Blue, but then we didn't. <laughs> um, set in the year 1995. So... Made in the year 1995. Oh, yes. <laughs> a contemporary oh, tale. A moment there. A moment there. Oh my, I, I, yeah. oh my god! Oh my god! That's a barrel of laughs. I'm all embarrassed. Stop pinching our Exorcist too. Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> is Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> but he takes the form of a parrot yes. with a little hat it's on. <laughs> Elevator pitch, please, Mr. Alec. Jafar returns to Agrabah and forms an unlikely alliance that threatens everyone. Aladdin must overcome his differences with a figure from his past in order to save the city. Mm. And the themes are family ties, corruption, and class war. Mm. 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 Is that not the same as your Robocop? <laughs> 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 I've literally seen it. Control F, Robocop. <laughs> Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Nancy Allen is a yarn. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> right. And street rats. How about you guys? So ours is called Return to Agrabah, mm-hmm. and our elevator pitches. 250 years after the events of Aladdin, the Sultanate has collapsed and Agrabah is a pale reflection of its former glory. A thief uncovers the lamp containing Jafar and Iago, but is tricked, allowing Jafar to conduct research into how to free himself without losing his powers. At the same time, we are introduced to a teenage girl who befriends a lesser genie named Jin. Ooh. Interesting. Is Jin spelled with a D? It, it is. is. Ooh, nice. And two nice. N's and, two. and a J and an I. Yes. <laughs> but yep. there's a heart. We the actually put, we it sounds really stupid because we went so meta with this Disney thing. We put one N because we thought there's no way a Disney producer would allow two N's in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty Ooh. meta. Yes. Mm. Continue. So uh I hate sand, should we dive straight into your sand? <laughs> Dive straight headfirst into your sand. Certainly. Well, let's give you our crew first. Okay, yes, crew. Yeah, of course. Um, the director, basically, would bring the band back together. Mm. Directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Aladdin played by Scott Weinger. Wenger, Weinger. Princess Jasmine, Linda Larkin. Jafar, Jonathan Freeman. Iago, Gilbert Gottfried. And the genie, of course, Robin Williams. Music by Alan Menken, Tim Rice, and Walter Unpronounceable. Afanasyev, Afanasyev. Actually, that wasn't impressive at all. Sorry, Walter, if you're listening. And of course, extra character themes by Peter Frampton. <laughs> Have you? Is that for real? Oh my, oh my god. god! Really? They're allowed a running joke did they, as well. Did, did you guys get a two-picture deal with Frampton? <laughs> is, like, is that what this is all well, about? Well, this is the oh, standard league of a lot of the old Frampton recently, and I think yeah, he's a bit. Uh, Underrated. Oh, you might say he's a bit of a genie on the guitar. Oh, oh. no, Alec. I'm sorry. 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 Ever. I hate Alec. He gets everywhere. <laughs> he's coarse. He's coarse. <laughs> <laughs> Just turns up in the bathroom. Fuck you. <laughs> Damn it, Alec. You're coarse and you get everywhere. I'm kidding. I love you, Alec. Uh, right. Oh, he looks genuinely hurt. Yeah. That's why I feel bad. Sorry. Oh. You can't see it, but there's a really manful hug going on right now. Yeah, manful. The supervisor's (laughs) way. (laughs) Women, we we each are dead. It's a little bit like Carlito's way, but not quite the same. Um, Cool. Okay, do you want to begin the synopsis? Cool. Three years after the events of the original Aladdin, Agrabah is a city in flux. Princess Jasmine has replaced Jafar as the Grand Vizier, alongside her fiance Aladdin, whose commoner status has made him popular with much of the city. She has pushed through a number of social reforms designed to address the city's evident disparity between the rich and the poor. But not everyone feels that this change is happening quickly enough, leaving the neediest still vulnerable. A militant political group called the Street Rats is operating in Agrabah. They've raided several of the city's prominent sites of wealth, citing a Robin Hood-esque manifesto of robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. The festivities have begun for Jasmine and Aladdin's imminent wedding, and with that arrive word that the genie is returning to Agrabah by boat to attend. The royal party meets him as he disembarks, and he is full of quips and wisecracks as ever, but becomes hesitant when asked why he simply didn't fly back. He claims that he wanted to experience life at sea for a while, but his explanation fails to convince Jasmine or Aladdin. They return to the palace for a ceremonial banquet, and the genie marks their arrival by putting on an amazing magical firework display and musical number. The genie finishes his display and the festivities continue, but he seems to be uncharacteristically exhausted. Jasmine takes him aside to ask him what's wrong, 
but before he can explain, the party is crashed by the street rats. They demand the gold and jewels of Agrabah's wealthiest, and one of the thieves forcibly snatches Jasmine's necklace and attempts to make his exit through the palace. Aladdin gives chase and corners him in a corridor. He snatches away the thief's mask to reveal a face remarkably similar to his own. Aladdin, stunned, says, Kasim! The thief shouts, traitor, and punches him in the face, making an acrobatic getaway. Jasmine and some guards rush in. She asks who the man was, but Aladdin remains silent. We join Kasim and the street rats in their underground hideout. Kasim, who we discover as their leader, is angry at the slim pickings and that the group were so easily forced to retreat by the palace guards. His men retort that they simply don't have the numbers or the resources for conducting such large-scale operations. Other groups of men and women, different factions of the street rat gang, have been out on smaller raids. Still angry, Kasim demands to see their loot. It is unimpressive, berating one street rat in particular, he takes a dusty lamp from their swag bag, complaining that it looks like something found in the desert. He begins to wipe it with his hand, and to his great surprise a genie appears. A genie that the audience recognises as Jafar, the villain of the first movie, together with the annoying parrot Iago. Having overheard the conversation from inside the lamp and reading the tone of the room, the calculating Jafar sees an opportunity. He explains that he was once the Grand Vizier, and that sickened by the greedy ways of the Sultan and in the injustice of Agrabah's poverty, he attempted to overthrow the royal house, but was thwarted by the class traitor Aladdin and imprisoned in the lamp. Kasim's face erupts in anger at the mention of Aladdin's name. During this explanation, Jafar repeatedly has to silence Iago, who nearly gives the game away due to misunderstanding the situation. He explains to Kasim that he is now his master, and that he is entitled to three wishes, but that he has a proposition. Working together, he and Kasim can overthrow the Sultan and create a fairer society for all. Playing up his sob story, he says that Kasim can use the first two wishes for this end, but the third wish should be to set him free, as nobody should live under the power of others. Kasim agrees and uses his first wish to provide the street rats with enough resources <laughs> to take on the Sultan. Jafar then conjures an army of supernatural warriors apparently from the sand. A musical number ensues, in which the pair speculate about their impending plans. As it reaches its climax, Jafar notes that there's an irony in Kasim, a man who looks who harbours so much hatred for Aladdin, looking so much like him, to which Kasim reveals that he is Aladdin's younger brother. We cut back to the palace, where Aladdin has just shared the same revelation with the genie, Jasmine, and the Sultan. Aladdin explains that after their parents died, he was Kasim's sole guardian, but the one day, during a riot in the Agrabah market, they were separated and never saw each other again. Aladdin had long assumed that his brother was killed that day. He tells Jasmine that he needs to find Kasim. The Sultan advises against it, concerned at what the revelation of Aladdin's criminal brother would do to his reputation. Jasmine intervenes and says that Aladdin needs to find his brother, but that the knowledge of his existence should not be shared with anybody outside of the room to avoid incident. Meanwhile, along with the newly conjured sand warriors, the street rats' activities become bolder and much more successful. The wealthy of Agrabah grow to fear the organisation, and the city faces a state of emergency. Out of his prince's robes, and alongside a boo in the magic carpet, Aladdin roams the slums in which he grew up meeting old acquaintances to find Kasim's whereabouts. He is directed to a dilapidated hovel and lies in wait for his brother's return. Kasim enters the building at nightfall and is confronted by Aladdin. 
A musical number ensues, in which Kasim lashes out at Aladdin for abandoning him and breaking his deal to look after him. A most serious crime in his eyes. Aladdin responds that he had no way of knowing that he was still alive, but Kasim retorts that Aladdin abandoned not only him, but all of Agrabah's underclass. However, their conversation is brought to an abrupt close when a number of Kasim's street rat underlings arrive for a meeting. Recognising Aladdin, a fight ensues in which he is knocked out. Kasim's goons ask what they should do with him. He commands them to assemble all the street rats at their secret hideout, and they will bring Aladdin before Jafar. At the hideout, Jafar is summoned forth from the lamp. Aladdin is shocked to see his old nemesis. Many of the street rats suggest elaborate ways to end his life. Jafar is amused, but notices Kasim's unease at the suggestion of his brother's death. He says that killing Aladdin would make them no better than their oppressor. Aladdin is instead knocked out and left in a slum on the other side of Agrabah. Privately, Iago questions whether Jafar has gone mad, but Jafar explains that it's all part of his master plan. Jafar tells Kasim that it is time to enact phase two of the plan to remove the Sultan to create chaos in court so they can finally overthrow Agrabah's power base. Kasim wishes that the Sultan was dead. Jafar responds that he cannot kill anyone due to genie restrictions, but that he can offer the next best thing. He presents a vial of potion that will render anyone who drinks it unconscious in a permanent death-like state of sleep. He explains that one drop will produce the desired effect, while a second drop will reverse the process if needed. But he jokes that the Sultan will be six feet under before anyone would think to do that. Kasim asks Jafar how he expects him to break into the palace to deliver the poison. Jafar responds that Kasim's resemblance to Aladdin means that he won't have to. He can simply walk into the palace posing as him. Back in Jasmine's chambers, the genie attempts to calm her fears about the missing Aladdin by clowning around. Jasmine returns to the unfinished conversation from the banquet, asking the genie why he was so spent after the firework display. He reveals that as a result... He reveals that as a result of being set free of the lamp, his powers have greatly depleted. This is why he had to travel by boat. He can no longer fly any substantial distance. Jasmine asks why he hid this from them, and he says he thought they'd think less of him. She reassures him that they like him for who he is. The genie is ecstatic and launches into a musical number, explaining that he prefers being mortal, as it lets him stop and appreciate the little things in life, and people like him for who he is, rather than what he can do for them. Meanwhile, Kasim has infiltrated the wing of the palace where the Sultan resides by pretending to be Aladdin. He enters his chambers, and the Sultan mistakes him for Aladdin, asking if he has any news of his brother. He realises too late that he is an imposter, and Kasim successfully administers the poison. We cut to an adjacent room in the palace, where surprisingly, Iago is located. He is mumbling complaints to himself. Make sure that the guards see Kasim, he says. Can't the parrot catch a break? Before letting out a mighty squawk of, he's dead. Bringing guards throughout the palace to the Sultan's quarters and face to face with Kasim. A fight ensues. But Kasim, once again, uses his acrobatic daring do to escape. Following the guards, the genie and Jasmine rush to the room. The genie examines the sultan and says that he is dead. Razul, the burly guard from the first Aladdin, says that he's not just dead, but murdered by that untrustworthy street rat, Aladdin. Palace goes into a state of mourning, with the sultan's body lying in state. Still groggy from his beating, Aladdin makes his way through the doors of the palace and is promptly captured by the guards in a hastily assembled trial, which is also a musical number. 
he is found guilty of the Sultan's murder and sentenced to death. Meeting Aladdin in his cell, Jasmine expresses anger and confusion at his actions. Piecing the events together, Aladdin reasons that it must have been Kasim who killed the Sultan, masterminded by Jafar. Jasmine and the genie take this information before the judge, but Razul counters that it was simply their testimony against his, and he knows who he saw. Besides, this is the first anyone has heard of Aladdin even having a brother, and everyone knows that Jafar is dead. The judge agrees, but because of Jasmine's impassioned argument, he agrees to give Aladdin a stay of execution. They have 12 hours to find Kasim, and if they cannot prove his existence and guilt within that time, then Aladdin goes to the executioner's block. Disguised as peasants, Jasmine, the genie and the tiger, who the genie has badly disguised as a dog using his waning powers, infiltrate the street rat's gang who, in light of the Sultan's demise, are preparing for their assault on the palace and no longer hiding. They quickly locate Kasim and take him to one side, explaining Jafar's true nature and how he used Kasim to frame Aladdin and have him executed. Kasim is unconvinced and asks why they didn't just use the genie's powers to help Aladdin. The genie explains, but Jasmine explodes with anger, saying that Kasim murdered her father and now doesn't care about the life of his own brother. Kasim explains that the Sultan is actually sleeping, but before they can finish talking, a group of sand warriors along with Jafar appear. Conflicted, Kasim creates a diversion for Jasmine, the genie and the tiger, to escape, unseen by Jafar. He hands him the potion and explains that another drop will wake the Sultan, but that he will not aid them further. He made a deal to take control of Agrabah, and he can never break a deal. He sings a rousing song to gear up his men for the upcoming battle, but we see now that he has doubts about Jafar. Jasmine and the genie return to the palace just in time to revive the Sultan and save Aladdin who is on the executioner's block but their jubilation is short-lived as the street rats and sand warriors storm the palace en masse. Our heroes do their best to fend them off, but are overwhelmed. Jafar enters and attacks the genie, and quickly realises that his powerful foe now has almost no power. In a vengeful display of cruelty, he viciously beats the defenceless genie all over the place. The street rats are surprised by seeing this new side of Jafar. Some attempt to intervene, but are brutally subdued by the sand warriors. Kasim notices and Iago gleefully comments that he ain't seen nothing yet, which convinces him that he's been manipulated. Jasmine and Aladdin beg Kasim to make it stop, as only he has the power to do so. Jafar reminds him that they made a deal to set him free, and that he never breaks a deal. To our hero's dismay, Kasim agrees. He wishes for the genie to take Jafar's place in the lamp and set him free. Jafar is overjoyed at this ironic vengeance, and doesn't. Uh, notice how relieved our heroes look. They switch places and the battle continues. Jafar throws everything he has at the genie, but it doesn't amount to much. And soon he collapses in exhaustion. Kasim explains that his powers were connected to the lamp, and he now has nothing before the genie lays him out with no effort. Jasmine gets the lamp, rubs it, and summons the genie. She quickly lists off three wishes for the battle damage to the palace to be repaired, for Jafar to be dealt with, and the genie to be free again. The genie quickly complies, and Jafar is turned into a small bird, which greatly pleases Iago as he can now push him around. <laughs> Everyone agrees that the lamp was too powerful, and thus too dangerous to use, and that together they will work towards creating a fairer society in Agrabah. But... In a mid-credit sequence, we see <laughs> Aladdin and the genie discussing how normal everything will seem now that there are no more magical lamps and hence no more magical adventures. 
but within seconds the sky darkens and a terrifying giant figure appears out of the clouds. Shouting that celestial rules have been broken, people have been turned into genies and back again willy-nilly. <laughs> I hope that lines in the script. Yep. <laughs> Upsetting the cosmic balance of power. The genie must face justice in a court of powerful beings. And he turns to the camera, gulps, and says he'll see us again in The Trial of the Genie. Pitching oh. oh. <laughs> 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 uh, We very... recently have an idea that uh, just after the last wish is granted, um, Razul jump, runs in with his dying daughter and says, Quickly, use a wish to save her! <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looks at the camera and goes, Oh boy! <laughs> Lots of shadow tugging and stuff. And then credits. As was your So why sobs in time with them. So why I took them that was swag bag, willy nilly. Yago pushes Jafar really. Yeah. Basically Tom likes things that rhyme and I can't blame him. We wrote a lot of silly words in this. We really did. I liked it. I like very Disney. I thought it was yeah. Is it, it's very much a mature Disney because mm. I think it, the themes there are very present but I don't know I don't that <laughs> we, we originally were going to make it pretty much well a later Disney a lot more mature and we'd have had to have set it like 10-15 years mm-hmm. or had it made 10-15 years yeah, yeah we'd, we'd initially pushed for like a, a like PG rating and we had had the Sultan actually get killed off yeah um but we thought that that just took it a bit it too it far for Disney. Yeah. We, we didn't yeah. know we didn't know how we could redeem Kasim as yeah. a character. No, you could do it in any other film, but for that sort of in inverted commas, yeah. a children's movie. I suppose I hate to belittle children's movies. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah. Although I did that, you just said we tried really hard to petition for a PG. It's like to who? <laughs> <laughs> to yourselves? <laughs> to this? To our own? <laughs> I don't like it. I like it too much. <laughs> to our own sense of justice. <laughs> <laughs> And it's quite Kasim heavy, but I think nobody really cares that much. Merchandise, about... they're going to look the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll just no. take the same sculpt, slightly paint it differently, and it'll be fine. And but nobody cares that more. much about Aladdin and Jasmine and stuff, and that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. the genie they've come That's for. That's what they're for. He's, yeah. the, he's, the, he's the, the genie. Jack Sparrow before Jack Sparrow was Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad you paid. <laughs> paid attention. If you're listening at home, kids, <laughs> open your bottle of. Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels now and start drinking. <laughs> Over to the street rats and your pitch. Okay, uh, we've gone very, very Disney to the degree that every now and again we'll stop and we'll tell you the name of our song that we will be not actually performing because we're not that musical we're not talented. That good. But um, we have named the songs that will be, be performed throughout the film. Can I just stop and make a request there? If people on the internet want to write the songs yes. for hours, yes. just to yes. suggest that. Don't waste your life doing that. That <laughs> good hobby. But if you don't, can't, if you can't find a good hobby or you're rubbish at sports, definitely write them. <laughs> why are we? That's very particular. Why are we excluding songwriters that are good at sports? Because they're making songwriters. I want to. I don't know. Busy. Um, so set to. T- <laughs> meanwhile, back in the ranch. Okay, uh, back in reality. Back in San Francisco. Um, okay, we're releasing this in 2002. We're seeing this as a resurgence of when Disney was starting to get a bit pants. Not Independence Day resurgence. No, I'm afraid not. No. Oh. No. Um, <laughs> the disappointment in your voice. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, Disney's getting a bit on the ropes and releasing things like Brother Bear, which is... And I don't, and this is very controversial, please don't write in about it, I don't care about your opinion, but I don't give a shit about Emperor's New Groove. Oh. And I get so much flack for that. That's pretty controversial. I really do. And then people say, oh, but you like you know, the genie, you have a sort of... 
You do right, you do. I, I, I quite liked it, but that's not relevant. So I haven't seen it in fifteen years. I was like John Whispering. Seriously though, I didn't know Brother Bear was Disney. Yes. So there must yeah. have been a bit of a marketing. It was yeah. pretty, pretty there. shitty times. Yeah. I didn't so, know it existed. And I really like bears, and even I didn't know that. Crying for the revenant. She's a Disney. Anyway, so we're saying into well, not sorry. So we're releasing it in 2002, which is 10 years after Aladdin. Directors, we're bringing back Ron Clements and John Musker as the directors of Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, and we'll go on to do Moana. Um, returning cast, Jonathan Freeman as Jafar, Gilbert Gottfried as Iago. Now, most of the time, if we were to do this in the early 90s, it wouldn't matter who we cast. It would just be voice actors who were very talented, which is great. But in the early 2000s, people started getting off the success of the Pixar films and thinking, we need... Again, case in point, Brother Bear's Joaquin Phoenix, if yeah. you might remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, we have a huge cast of people. And we tried to go for a lot of people who are of, in any way, you know, genetically connected to the Arabian Peninsula in some form to be, you know, decent about it. So, um, playing the role of Awa is Alia Shawkat, who was in Three Kings and most famously Rested Development. Um, we've got Omid Jalili playing the Jinn. Um, Omidjalili he's in The Mummy Gladiator and tons of things he is frankly hilarious and I think really good casting this one so we don't have I should spoil this here we don't have any Robin Williams so ooh interesting okay we have playing the role of the Karkadan which we'll explain what that is in a minute F. Murray Abraham from Scarface Amadeus and 13 Ghosts around that time Shere Agdashlu plays the role of Asthma she's a very distinctive actress whereby you know her from her voice it's very sort of uh, like, I don't say croaky because that seems insulting, but she's very, very distinct and she's really, really impressive as an actress. Uh, we've got Tony Shalhoub playing Feyruz, who's in Men in Black and Galaxy Quest and uh, later Cars. And the narrator is Tony Jay, who I don't think has any connection to anywhere at all, <laughs> who was in Beauty and the Beast and The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Treasure Planet. But again, a very distinctive voice actor. The DOP, because Tom loves DOPs. I do love DOPs. We've got we've not listed any DOPs because it's an animated film. So. And also, as a little interesting note, Disney didn't really start bringing on the talents of real DOPs till I might be right wrong in saying it's the first one, but like Wally, for example, has my man Deacons yeah. doing. Uh, that's right, my man Deacons doing um, <clears throat> kind of consulting DOP work. But I think that's one of the first ones they actually bought yeah. on. Someone, he did the same so. thing for How to Train Your Dragon and stuff like that. Well, he, he did like, indeed. Took my list stuff because they, so. they just sort of like when have we got this? The composers, and as it were, for the music, um, we've got Alan Menken, Tim Rice, and Chad Begulin, who I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing wrong, or Begwillin, if I don't know. Um, all of those three worked on the Aladdin Broadway songs. Um, from the, the reason we did that, I'm pretty sure one of the key architects at this point, when we released our film, is dead. Yeah. So we've gone with the Broadway music, because we know it works, and we know what they can do, and so on. <clears throat> so, once I've stopped fiddling with some papers, Tom, my fellow street rat, will help you with the story. Fucking <laughs> hell. So, over an instrumental version of the song Arabian Nights, which is our first song, an it's, opening, yeah, it's a callback. Our, an opening narration explains that the city of Agrabah entered a golden age under the sultanate of Aladdin and Jasmine. As Sultan Aladdin grew old, his son ventured off to di- distant lands to open new routes of trade. Years pass, but no one hears from the missing prince. The sun sets on the sultanate, and without a stable monarchy, Agrabah falls into a period of fractured chaos. 200 years later, in the small mountain village of Yemi Ahem, the narrator is revealed to be a travelling storyteller who is putting on an elaborate show for a group of children who have gathered. 
He finishes the tale by stating that some say the prince journeyed through the desert and became a powerful sorcerer. Others say he still lives and rules over some distant land. He believes the prince merely lost his way and one day will return to Agrabah to restore peace and order. The children cheer wildly and the storyteller bows. Smirking in the crowd is slightly cynical teenager Awa. A young girl runs to her and regales the story she's just heard. Awa escorts the girl back to her parents' house and sings a song about the village. The song is called Quiet Mountain Life. Before she can finish her song, Awa gets her ear bent by an old woman, Asma, her grandmother. Asma explains she found a dull ring lying on the floor of their house. Awa and Asma argue as Asma explains that since the death of Awa's parents, she is the keeper of the plain ring, the family's only ornament, which has been passed down from generation to generation, a fact Awa is all too familiar with. Sitting on the rooftop of her house, Awa sings the remainder of her song, Quiet Mountain Life Reprise. Across the desert, we see several horses rearing up as a rope attached to their reins pulls into the depths of the sand. As the horses move back, a man appears from the dune, clinging to the rope. Spitting sand, he cackles and produces an oil lamp. He explains that he has been searching for the fabled treasure for years and quickly rubs the lamp. The swirling smoke and sparks cause the horses to bolt, but the thief is unfazed. Amid the spectacle, Jafar, in his genie form, is released along with a livid Iago, who is ridiculed by the treasure hunter. Jafar intimidates the man, tricking him out of his wishes by turning him into a rock. Iago perches on the boulder and ridicules him, saying it's hard to call people names without a mouth. Using his powers, Jafar transports himself to Agrabah and is greatly amused that the once noble city has fallen into squalor. A song begins, and he uses his infinite cosmic powers to install himself as the ruler of the city, and that's a musical number called Meet the New Boss. Feyruz, the leader of the harmless but inept council that has set up in the palace for the last two centuries, is quickly forced to comply. Back in Yemi Ahem, Awa takes it on herself to arrange some sort of schedule for the villagers to draw from the well to avoid congestion, but the townsfolk reject her ideas because of her age and gender. Angry at the town's ignorance, Awa storms off. Losing her balance navigating through the crowd, she stumbles, and the ring falls from her person and rolls away. Chasing it and picking it up, Awa is overcome by frustration by the ignorance of those around her, and seeing the dull ring as a symbol of an older time, throws it at a nearby wall. In doing so, a crack emerges, revealing the dull exterior to be little more than an outer coating covering a jewel set in shining metal. Drawn in, Awa touches the gem and releases a lesser genie, Jin. The Jin introduces himself to the, his new mistress, but explains he doesn't adhere to the same rules as a supreme genie, all of whom have spacious lamps, and can only grant minor wishes, but this means said wishes are not limited in quantity. This is fully explained in song form, in the song, Anything They Can Do. Back in Agrabah, Jafar walks through the palace walls, musing about how it's changed over the centuries. Iago makes a joke that Jafar looks decent for a technically several hundred year old man. Jafar uncovers his hidden sanctum and pours over his notes and mystical artefacts, such as an enchanted thread and a lineage stone. Iago asks why Jafar would be interested in this place now he's in charge. Jafar takes on his genie appearance and reminds Iago that both of them are prisoners of the lamp. Returning to his human look, he continues that he must find a way to lift the genie cursed while still retaining his powers. Led by the mischievous Jin, Awa enjoys exercising her newfound magical wishes. She explains that she could fix everyone's problems simply with just a little bit of prompting and manipulation. She does this by setting up scenarios for labourers to see that certain jobs need doing, for sing two single people to find each other, and for another spring of water to appear, which can be made into a second world. Uh, this song is called Do As I Command. Oh, there's a little bit more. As the sun sets over the palace, Jafar uncovers his old notes and reminds himself about a powerful beast called the Karkadan. Believing the Karkadan could be persuaded to assist him, the evil sorcerer sets out into the desert. 
What was once a scene of frivolity and joy, Arwa's actions haven't worked out the way she intended and get her in trouble. The labourer is charging an extortionate rate, the young couple are ill-matched, and the spring for the future well has flooded one of the houses. Disheartened, Arwa retreats to the roof of her house and wishes that she had never found this power, and all she really wants are her parents back. Jin apologises that messing with time is beyond either a supreme genie's abilities, and so he can't undo what's already been done. Jin then consoles Arwa and explains that the memory she has of her parents should guide her to become a good person. He explains that one good person can rise above a sea of nefarious people. Hearing her granddaughter on the roof, Asma climbs up and sits with her. After a short period of awkwardness, Asma says she knows about Jin, which her great-great-great-grandfather found in a foreign land. As they look at the stars, Asma reminds Arwa that people can't be forced to change, but they are capable of it. Her actions today came from a good place, but by forcing others to do her will, she would be no better than a slave owner or a ruthless sultan. This is why she never used the jinn's powers herself, even when her son, Arwa's father, died. And there's a musical number there called Shooting Stars. In the depths of the desert... In the depths of the desert, Jafar uses his cosmic powers to locate the Karkadan. Walking through a ravine, Iago comments that this may not be the wisest of plans. A giant horned, armor-plated beast seemingly steps out of the rock and confirms that Iago is right. Iago panics, but Jafar grabs his beak to calm him. Jafar reveals himself as a powerful genie, which fails to impress the Karkadan. Jafar states that the magic extends to his familiar, an extremely talkative but powerful bird. Confused, Iago asks who that is. Jafar offers the life and powers of this familiar in exchange for a release from the lamp with none of the unpleasant side effects. The Karkadan chuckles deeply, but demands a show of power first, a taste. Jafar uses his magic to transport the monster within the palace walls and, impressed by the power levels, the Karkadan agrees to help. He asks for Jafar to produce the lamp. Still not catching on that he will be a victim of this trade, Iago is made to take the lamp over. He does so, and confesses to the mythical creature that he doesn't know anything about another bird. At this point, the Karkadan stamps on the lamp and inhales the swirling, glowing smoke and rises from it. Starting to glow himself, he howls with laughter. Iago flies back to Jafar and realises that he could have performed magical feats this whole time and reacts furiously. The Karkadan ends the bickering by revealing that he has tricked Jafar, releasing him from the lamp, but absorbing the power in the process. Stepping forward, the huge beast explains that Jafar is mortal once more and leaps over him, galloping through the palace walls to reap unbridled destruction on the city. From a mountain village, Arwa sees the destruction being caused in the nearby city of Agrabah as flames, purple smoke and shooting sparks glow in the night and tells Jin she has to do something. Jin reminds her that his powers are very limited and whatever is happening over there looks like it is out of both their respective leagues. Arwa explains that it would be wrong not to try and wishes for a raft which she surfs across the dunes. Cue a visual effects sequence of racing across the desert, a la the carpet escape from the Cave of Wonders in the first Aladdin. As Jafar stumbles out of the palace, he is set upon by the nearby populace, who are bested by his magic until a guard uses his scimitar to cut the villain's serpent staff in half. Arriving in Agrabah, Awa and Jin are taken aback by the chaos and the sheer size and power of the rampaging monster. Using cunning and simple magic, Awa tricks the Karkadan into charging into projections of herself, damaging his armoured hide. As his horn finally cracks, the Karkadan starts to emit plumes of steaming gas. The djinn highlights this to Awa, who throws a lit torch at the beast. The noxious gas catches fire and detonates, launching the creature high into the night sky and off into the desert from which he came. In the chaos, Jafar disguises himself and slips away. I should point out, that's a long sequence we've just abbreviated to just a paragraph, but to go. The city rallies to the young heroine, grateful that the plight is over, but remain just as confused about how to proceed. 
disguised as an old man. Jafar is about to escape, but Iago points out that the kid looks real familiar. Jafar looks over at the crowd gathering around Arwa and mutters, It cannot be. Stood among the rubble, Jin tells his mistress that he has no idea what to advise and doesn't feel his magic would be nearly enough to fix much of anything. Arwa then steps up, asking if there are any carpenters and masons present who can help clear the rubble and salvage what they can for rebuilding. The people begin suggesting ways they can help, and everyone starts working. The old beggar pushes his way through the crowd and asks if he can be of assistance by donating a gem which immediately glows in Arwa's hand. Iago, seeing this, tries to calm Jafar and remind him that they need to leave, but fails as a hysterical sorcerer screeches that the teenager is of royal blood, and as a descendant of Aladdin and Jasmine, he will have his revenge. Jafar pulls a knife and in doing so morphs back into his regular guise. Before Awa can be struck by the blade, Jin grows in size and takes the hit. After a brief period of shock, the citizens of Agrabah shackle Jafar and drag him away to be imprisoned, while Iago flees the scene. A moment of stillness rests over the crowd as Awa talks to the dying Jin, and he explains that she shouldn't worry. She doesn't need magic to impress people, highlighting the citizens bowing to her as not only the heir to the throne, but as the saviour of the town. As Jin dissolves into a bed of sparks that dissipate into the air, the camera pulls back to reveal a ripple effect as the city's peoples bow to their rightful queen. We transition ahead to a celebratory coronation which is being held amidst the busyness of Arwa's new life. We see Arwa's grandmother living luxuriously and Farouz and the rest of the council following plans set out by Arwa to restore the city to its former glory. Arwa steps out onto a balcony to a roar of adoring citizens. As Queen of the Desert, the final song plays out, Jin can be seen watching from the rooftops. He then turns and winks at the audience. Tiny, tiny bit at the end. An R&B cover of Quiet Mountain Life is played over the credits by Ashanti. <laughs> so appropriate for 2002. Uh, yes. Very appropriate for 2002. There we go. So there we are. Nice. <laughs> Doesn't have a swag bag, but it's still good. Um, particularly like the uh, R&B cover inclusion. Oh, yeah. thank you. Very appropriate. I, and I like how um, sort of far away from the original you went with it. Oh, while yeah. still remaining sort of thematically appropriate. We went back, back to yeah. Arabian Nights, Tales of Arabian Nights, Tales of yeah. Nights and things like that. And um, Awa and Asma are based on actual Arabian Peninsula queens and things like that and all kinds of things, the Karkadans and actual mythically. So we tried to do bits and pieces and just, you know, elements of uh, folklore and stuff yeah. and do something dramatically different because, again, we're trying to think, oh, it's ten years on... Because I think, I think at that point, if it would have been in this sort of time when Disney was doing bad films, if they'd just done the same thing again. Because I, I think The Emperor's New Groove, which, as we have discovered now, I fucking hate. <laughs> um, if I think that was very much a case of let's take an older culture and try and just really jazz it up with some, some contemporary elements. And it just, in my opinion, didn't really work as well. Um, but by doing this, I think we're just trying to say something, yeah, a bit different. Yeah, it's weird. We, we also initially tried to do the... Um, Going back to Arabian Nights thing mm. with um, so much of it though. Well, we went, mm. we went, we were initially thinking, do we adapt uh, Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves? Yeah, and then we remembered just how messed up that story is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Everything there. I was just saying, we originally went back to that because the thing as well is Aladdin as a story, from what I remember correctly, is Chinese, not Arabian or oh, anything no, Middle Eastern yeah. at all. And um, again, they, in the original, they they took out the, the there is actually a lesser. Jin in it, the, the genie of the ring I think it is and um, they replaced that in, in the original Adam with the carpet effectively who could do minor magical things like flying and getting out there that was their sort of equivalent rather than having two genies so we went brought that idea back and things rather than having another because they think 
Now the magic card. You have to right. do Robin Williams if you could do another genie. Mm. Um, but we thought, well, well, we'll try and do with our one. It's different. I say, trying to do something entirely very different. Um, and also, just assuming how how much of a non-event he was in um, uh, was it Ooh, King of Thieves? King of Thieves, yeah. Because he, he's great in it. He does a good enough job, but it's not nearly. And it's, I mm. put that down to the script at the end of the day. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, not that he can do his own thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, which was a great casting choice, by the Thank way. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Big fan of Mr. Jalili. If you're out there, Ahmed. We love you. We love back. you. Yeah. yeah. If you're out there, retweet our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a really tough choice ahead of me now. I can't even think of... Like, we've had tough ones. I thought the Robocop one was pretty tough. I remember that being a difficult decision because of the... Enjoying the kind of large scope and small scale kind of differences and things like that. But these are both very different, and I think both very good. So mm. well done, teams. I Thanks. guess yeah. I can't even, I can't even bring myself to to make a decision. To be honest, I'm just going to bail out. And uh, since we're already on equal pegging, we'll call it a tie. Everybody oh, wins. Oh. Everyone wins. It's like, but if everybody wins, then no, nobody, nobody wins. wins. Except everybody wins. Paradox. <laughs> Until next episode, where oh. we'll get a season one. Oh yeah. Um, <sighs> With yeah. the amazing prize of Buckle. nothing. Fuck all, yeah. Fuck all. Yeah. 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 I could do yeah. some more nothing, actually. Yeah. My nothing's getting quite old. Need so, replacing. Yeah, what I really like is I'll, I'll start with the, the street rats and not your street rats. Those street rats. I'm <laughs> pointing <laughs> as if the audience is going to know. So I'll start with the street rats and I really liked how, as you mentioned, you went back to Arabian Nights, which is something I read not too long ago, funnily enough. Mm-hmm. The whole thing, obviously. Because mm. that'd be Ridiculous. insane. Um, I read Throne of the Crescent Moon by Saladin Ahmed, and I was like, this is awesome. I need more Arabic tales in my life. Yeah. And I work at a school that is like 60% Arabic speakers, mm-hmm. so it's nice to kind of have... And I was like, oh yeah, I, I recognise your name from Arabian Nights and stuff like that. It was quite funny. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, and I really liked how you had the full... You went full Disney, as you said. Oh, yeah. You literally had... I was writing down the names of the songs as you were going, and I was like, <laughs> that is exactly what they would call that song. Like, meet the new boss is exactly yeah. the kind of... It's it's like modern language in an old school kind of yeah. setting that, in theory, doesn't make any sense, but Disney do that all the time. That's Yeah, we, we yeah. very much went with a lot of that sort of stuff and things like... Um, Ashanti. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Level Ashanti. <laughs> yeah, because it's things like you, you want to almost fight yourself as a writer, as it were, and to say, like, oh, I think this would be a good title, it would be quite clever twist, and think. Disney would not do a clever twist. Exactly. Disney would be as on the nose as they could. Yeah. I yeah. liked uh, anything they can do as well. Okay. Anything yeah. they can do, I can do lesser or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can do genie. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of on the nose, like I, I guess the Kasim twist straight away. But again, that's really Disney. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. kids don't know that Twists are a thing, and then suddenly twists are a thing. Like and then the suddenly they watch The Empire Strikes Back. And, oh, oh. and it was his younger brother all along. Mm. Yeah. It was also the it was the fun thing that we could get away with him just basically being an Aladdin double. Yeah, in the yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. while we were writing it, I think we were thinking about that twist, and we're like, is it going to land? Is that going to work? Do we go Do we... Dark Empire with clones? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Questions I ask myself. Often. <laughs> it lights or is no. Never go with clones. That's future yeah. reference for you guys. Yeah, we've had discussion before. Have, uh, I don't like have? clones. I don't think we've ever done. Oh no! Wait. Uh oh. 
because that's my that's my hate. <laughs> I know. Is our, that your kryptonite, Jack? Yeah, season, my kryptonite. Our season clones. two arc is basically everything's clones. Although Sorry, it's like, basically like Orphan Black, but yeah, um, Orphan Matt is what I really like Orphan Black, so maybe I don't hate clones after all. Which is so my like uh, Wolverine, Batman, or Logan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a good. That's Orphan Matt is Batman. Orphan. Yeah, yeah. Orphan Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Black. Matt Black. Uh, yeah, carry on. <laughs> Yeah, I, re- I really liked how you had the, the kind of the classic doppelganger sneaks in and kind of betrays, and then it has the change of heart. That's a kind of a classic thing as well, having Kasim come back, but he still holds to his kind of true never break a deal kind of thing as well. So it's not a super kind of saccharine, oh, I love my brother, I couldn't possibly help anybody. I'm still a street man, I still need to stick with the, the kind of thing. And I really like the, the class dynamic you guys had, which we mentioned before in in Jaws about the whole kind of companies and the kind of corporations are gross and stuff like that. I always like kind of political and socio-economic kind of undertones in films. And Interesting. Again, it's quite... <laughs> <laughs> again, it's quite on the nose, but it's Disney and that's kind of the point. You can't have super deep... Uh, no. ...esoteric shit going on in a Disney film. <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure there is... You can have some nuance somewhere, but it has yeah. to be... Coated in so layers, layers, layers upon layers, and then maybe someone of dicks. Yeah, layers upon layers of dicks. Dicks are in Disney films. I will. Oh, I see. Yes, layers of layers. Just come out with that. You're basically making a dick onion, and then yeah. like it's yeah, dick onion. Dick, dick, Great dick, name for a private detective. Dick onion is a callback to a dick onion. Please, dick. Dick Very good Shrek reference. Dick and uh, Dick Shalot if Bond was a woman that's yeah, a Bond that's a... man a Bond boy if you will yeah, Dick Shalot yeah. um, Dick, Dick it just sounds like it's being said by Sean, Sean Connery yeah. Yeah. Sean Connery Shalott. is the first Dick Bond Shalott. boy this, is, this yeah. is a fact yeah anyway I guess that kind of wraps us up then everyone's a winner it's three and a, a tie a piece yeah. <laughs> heading into the season finale of episode oh. 8 but what will we cover Jack what will we cover what, what will this film be yeah. it's again not the worst in the franchise in my opinion I think this is going to be one of the most controversial picks yeah. I think it is yeah. oddly enough I quite like this film mm. no, I think it's as do I oh, yeah, oh, God. <laughs> call it off <laughs> we all like it but for yeah, very different reasons where the rot it's fundamentally a problem exactly it's we also, I should just say, a difficult one because there are two cuts of this film, yep. and yeah. the the later released cut rectifies a lot it does, of the problems. Yeah. We're talking oh, yeah. about Blade Runner. No, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually short circuit. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we'd go out on a big bang. You yeah, told me it was Keith Lemon the film. <laughs> two. There are two. No, not no. give it time. No. Yeah. We're going to be talking about. Alien 3. <gasps> alien Cubed. Sorry, Alien Cubed. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, isn't it? Because yeah. that was a very 90s thing to do. Yeah. Just make everything squared or cubed yeah. for some reason. Because, we now... because maths is cool. So we'll talk about Alien Cubed in the next episode. But in the meantime, Mr. Stogden, where can people find you on the internet? Don't. Don't go look at the internet. It's rude. I'm on uh, Twitter as Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. Uh, you can find my filmmaking stuff at cheesemint.com. We try and update the website. It might not be updated when you look at it. Who knows? Future. Yeah. And um, my reviews for films, you can find at theredrighthand.co.uk. Mr. Martin, how about you? 
Uh, if you want to delve the depths of the internet in search of me, uh, most of my stuff is to do with my production company that we I run and uh, make lots of interesting films for people. So on all the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we are at Made by Forward. And if you want to go check out our work, you can go to weareforward.uk. Mr. Plowman, how are you? Uh, Alec underscore Plowman on Twitter. Uh, you can check out my website, uh, alecplowman.com, where I have intermittent articles and guff. And, yeah. <laughs> it's mainly guff. Intermittent guff. <laughs> yeah. It's mainly guff. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. Also, Monster City is the band I'm in with Jack, so it check is. out monstercityband.com. We are good. I agree. Uh, yes, empirically, yes. Empirically good yeah. band. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's empirically good band. <laughs> <laughs> And Mr. Ashen, how about you? Ashens. That's all you need. That's all you need. Google Ashens. Strong brands, good SEO. It'll be fine. <laughs> Speaking of strong brands, you can find us, Sequelizers, on basically everything. How do you spell that, Jack? Yeah. yeah With Jack. all the S's and no Z's. Exactly. Also, we spell sequel correctly, unlike many people. Yes. Do people spell it with an A? They do. Yeah. Which is more true. We did discuss that originally, possibly going with equalizer, like the A and the Z and stuff, but that just doesn't work. No. Also, the SEO is much better for us if we just use E's and S's. Language, people. Sorry. So all the E's, all the S's, sequelizers, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram, anything. I thought you were about to say to all the E's and S's in sequelizers, we salute you. (laughs) (laughs) But fucking sign off and a half right there. (laughs) To all the E's and S's in sequelizers, we we salute salute you. you. Half the room did. (laughs) (laughs) Close enough. Eat pizza's here, quickly end the episode. episode. Follow us on Twitter, eat pizza, bye. (laughs)